This year, Eastern Camp is supporting CLM and the Ghana Co-op Farming uh, Project. Please give generously to our loved ones serving the Lord in foreign soil. Our collection boxes are located in the vestibule in Lehman, just in the back, and the entrance to the dining room in North Lawn. Earmark your check or envelope as to where you want your donation to go. If your envelope is not marked, it goes into the camp general fund. For U.S. campers, you can now donate online uh, at uh, easterncamp.org. Just go to the donate button on the menu bar and make your donation choices in the comfort of your room. The credit card you have on your profile will automatically be charged and you will get your receipt via email. If you can't do it online, donation forms are by each donation box. Please choose the correct, correct form for either U.S. or Canadian. Forms can also be found at the camp office. Okay. Let's start with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this missionary day, Lord, we're excited to hear of the work that's being done. And Lord, we pray that it would convict our hearts, that it would stir us to motion, whether it be for us to find ways that we can serve or to help out with the efforts that are already going on. Lord, we pray for those who are out in the mission field right now, many of our loved ones and friends and family. Pray that thou would be with them, protect them, bless their efforts, and we pray for thy people everywhere, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just had one quick announcement regarding, um, so we did our bike trip from Syracuse, uh, it was 700K, uh, 450 miles, and we were raising money actually for the Harrisonburg Salvation Army Shelter, the way I've, we came about it was that we were reading that Harrisonburg actually in 2012 was the poorest area in Virginia. A quarter of the children live in poverty. And we thought, you know, we're really great at raising money for our own efforts, and that's obviously great. But um, one way we could make an impact was to raise money for that shelter. So we had a goal of $3,500, which would have been roughly $5 per kilometer. I think it's worth it. Um, but we only got about a third of that. So we'll be taking collections up until Friday morning, after which we're going to go drop it off at the shelter. So either you can approach me, uh, or we'll be putting out a collection box in the foyer here or at the uh, dining hall. Thanks. So I have a couple uh, just uh, starter questions uh, for you. What are you actually doing with your life? You Spending just your time working, going to school, Raising a family. Where's God in your life? As priority-wise. You can do mission work at any time and any stage of your life. If you're too busy to get involved, perfect. You can support financially. The question is, do you? There's so much work to do to be done in the Lord's Vineyard. In the next uh, number of slides, we'll see some of the things that he is doing through people just like you. Many of you remember Natasha Serratis uh, presenting last year, short, cute uh, lady that was here. She was unable to make it for reasons that you will um, see as you watch the, the following slideshow. Um, but we'd like to thank you for the support that, that you've um, that you've given for Manos Pequeñas, uh, an orphanage that's uh, being started in Tecate, Mexico. 
So part of the slideshow mentioned that if you'd like to know more about this, uh, you could come to the afternoon forum that's actually on Thursday. So at 3 o'clock, um, if you'd like to know more about this and how you can support, um, thank you so much. Uh, it definitely wouldn't have happened without prayer, uh, financial support, and I ask that you would continue continue praying. There's a lot of, of transitions in in new new missions, a lot of of transitions with with children. So uh, we thank the Lord and you for all that you've done and how he's how he's used you. And if he hasn't yet, then um, we pray that he would work on your heart this week too, to see what he wants you to do. Thank you. Good morning, campers. Um, greetings and God, God's blessings to you all. My name is Anna Simmel. I'm from the Brunswick Hills Congregation. I'm Mylon Janka. I'm also from the Brunswick Hills Congregation. Mylon and I, as well as nine others, had the opportunity to be in Zambia just two weeks ago to the Harmony Christian School. Zambia is located, uh, you may be able to see on the slide, in south-central Africa. As a country, it's quite beautiful. So these are some of the images that we were able to capture um, in some of our free time. Along with its beauty is a, is a deep, dark side, and one that uh, we learned intimately about. Um, this work team, we weren't building bathrooms and buildings and uh, brick and mortar. We were building relationships. It was a teaching team, so we taught for two weeks the children at the Christian Harmony School. We were face-to-face, nose-to-nose, sneeze-to-sneeze with these kids. So um, we really were deeply immersed in the culture and uh, learned much about it. In this slide, you'll see it's an election year. It's, it's really scary there right now, actually. Uh, the president's face, the current president, is, is posted on every, every single flat surface there is. There's clothing, cars are decorated. Uh, every tree has his image on it. The money that he spends could be so much better used for, for uh, the starving poor. It's, uh, there's 87% unemployment in Zambia, so that center slide, you'll see where the men just set up a tarp and they just lay around. There's no work there. The average life expectancy is 38 years old, and that's because of HIV. They've lost an entire generation to HIV. They have no, <laughs> there's no older people to teach them anything of value. They're gone. They're just gone. So the people that you see there just uh, perpetuate this culture. The women are the workers. Uh, They are the harvesters. They primarily take care of the functions of the home. One thing that was quite shocking to learn about Zambia was that men rule. Because their life expectancy is only 38 years old, uh, they have a very respectful culture. So the men feel, listen, I was a kid. I struggled, I suffered, I was hungry. Now I'm the man, you need to respect me. The men eat first. The men get whatever they want first. Next come the women. If there's food left over, they can have something to eat. Lastly, the children. They are the last on the food chain. They raise themselves. There's no discipline. There's no structure. It's heartbreaking. And it's so contrary to the way God intends it. Fathers, can you imagine 
pulling up to the table and just filling yourself to your heart's content. And then if there's something left over, maybe the wife can have a little morsel if you're feeling generous or gracious that day. And to the mothers, can you imagine not feeding your children, but feeding yourself first, and then just allowing them to eat whatever they can find, garbage or otherwise, or pretty much nothing at all. The darkest part of Zambia is that it is steeped in witchcraft. This particular province in the Copper Belt is one of the um, heaviest in, in witchcraft influence, and that is uh, voodoo rituals, that is having a hex placed on you, that is um, anything that you can imagine uh, of a very deep, dark nature. This is an advertising for a rich, uh, witch doctor. You don't have to drive out to the bush to find them anymore. They have cell phones, and they advertise uh, as a traditional doctor. And whatever the witch doctors say, the people do. They are raised in fear. From the moment they can speak, they are told that any bodily ailment they have, anything they feel, is because somebody placed a hex on them. Somebody, somebody had a, a voodoo ritual somewhere, and that's why their elbow was hurting. And that's why they don't feel well. They live in fear, and they die in fear. Death being the final curse. They have no hope. And so our hope is that if we reach the children where Jesus said their hearts are tender and we ought to be like them because their hearts are so open to the truth. And if they know the truth, they can deal with the suffering. And so that was our mission, to reach the children. And I hope it's your heart's desire. And I shared with uh, Brother Dennis and Sister Yasna that we would try to disclose as much as we could so that you're aware of, of how much we have to help these children so they could turn around this, this, uh, this evil that they're constantly um, struggling with. Here are some pictures of the Harmony School where we spent most of our time for the two weeks we were there, where we got our face-to-face interaction with the children. And it's a school with about 500 kids. Uh, it's Christian, but these are the kids that come from the poorest of the poor areas. So schooling, you have to pay for schooling in Zambia, but we're taking the kids that can't afford to pay for school. And it ranges from pre- right now pre-K to seventh grade, but... Um, there's no problem with the government with praising God and with the sh- spreading the gospel, you know. We walked into the school, and from the second we got there, sometimes there's chanting and singing all the time about Jesus, and it's such a blessing that there's no restriction on that. Uh, there's a team in Canada right now working on our next phase, which is to build a high school. So hopefully October 2017, uh, the high school will be done and will have full exposure for the children from the beginning to the end of their academic experience. We're here to raise awareness about the poverty and culture that these children experience. Getting as close as we did, we're here to share with you things they went through, and we have a ton of pictures to show you as well. Just to share a couple of the current needs there, Brother Dennis had uh, emailed me, is just... Ongoing prayer, obviously, and, uh, and funds uh, for sponsoring the children, uh, for the construction of the, uh, the high school, solar system that they'd like to uh, in, install, and uh, purchasing of a house to allow some of the orphan children that are in the worst circumstances uh, to live with house parents in a safe environment, 
and then of course uh, personal support for the Dulick family. And uh, please come out for the afternoon forum to hear more on Zambia and we'll share more on the current work team that's there. On behalf of all those who are active at Timberidge Ranch, we want to thank those here who have come beside us and have been a part in this ministry through volunteer work or financial support, emotional support, prayer support. We appreciate all that from each one of you. We'd like to extend uh, an invitation for you to come visit us at Timberidge Ranch to see what this ministry is all about. I will promise you that if you come and see a ministry, it will change you. Our focus is on the children, but it will change you. And it's changing me. And we'd just like to invite you to come and see what might be possible. We're at the second stage of our development at Timber Ridge. The first stage was to just get in the game, so to speak, with facility and horses. Now we're developing that further, more so to be able to handle horses in a more appropriate way. This will give extended opportunities to interact with children and adults there as well. We'd like to make you aware that the real heart opportunity in working with horses is actually not in riding the horses. That's a fun thing to do. But the real opportunity in bringing people to a faith is by learning how to handle the horses with them. With the two horses that we have, we've had ample opportunity uh, to be able to develop these horses further with having people of various ages and opportunities come to learn a little bit about how learning to work with a horse really symbolizes the relationship that we have with God. So we'd like to show love to them, but we'd like to bring them further to an opportunity of understanding what it's like to know God and interact with a God who really cares for each one of us. We'd love to have you come. We're going through some of this uh, fairly quickly. It's a lot to take in, but uh, we're going to keep moving along. We had a work team that uh, went to Papua New Guinea again this year. Um, the work team consisted of myself, Jimmy Hodges, Ed Stage, Jeffrey Dudlitz, Deborah Dudlitz, Brandon Dudlitz, and Philip Kurtz. We worked on a pastor's house, supplied funds to relocate a church, installed a solar system, supplied training on leadership, visited more than 10 church areas, assisted with the vote for a new general secretary, met with the women's ministry, reviewed the literacy program, supplied the women's ministry with sewing machines. Some of the needs in Papua New Guinea is they have uh, many pastors that have been, help, been helping for many years now with the, the churches uh, started when Brother Vic Schlaughter uh, went back in 1961, I believe it was, and and they collect some funds among each other to help the pastors to be able to, so that they can live in things. But now that they're getting at an age where they need to retire, and those same funds that are collected are needed for the younger pastors, they need some sort of a retirement fund or something for the pastors. And we're not talking something that's, we're, we're talking something that's in the amount of probably like $40 a month. Um, at top end. Um, also, uh, there's uh, needs to cover uh, transition uh, costs for the church structure. Currently, the church has been basically with one general secretary 
and then uh, elders and, and pastors uh, below that. But there's already over 135 churches in Papua New Guinea, and it's too much to be managed out of one area. We're looking at dividing it into probably six areas. We're still having one, one main area to oversee it. Looking at doing more self-help projects like the sawmill that uh, we did uh, a couple years ago. Maybe it's only a year ago. I lose track of time now. But, uh, and uh, also looking at the literacy program there. Brother Vic Schlatter translated the New Testament uh, Bible into Anglo-Hanic uh, language. And they are now looking at using local pastors there to translate the Old Testament Bible into the Anglo-Hanic language. And one of the reasons of the need for this, now this is a project that will probably take about 20 years. It took Vic, uh, Brother Vic uh, about 10 years. Um, and uh, it, it's, um, so to give you an example, uh, the, the language that's kind of used throughout Papua New Guinea is pidgin. But it's a very basic language. Like, for an example, there's no such word as the word love in the language of pidgin. It's, you can like very much, but there's no word for love. But in the Anglo-Hennig language, it's a much more descriptive language, and so uh, to understand God's word it is much more meaningful in that local language. Um, also looking for uh, funds for a church vehicle because of the vast areas, and there's not very many vehicles and things. The current church vehicle there right now needs about, uh, uh, it's close to $10,000 in, in, in repairs or to get a new one, but, of course, that's really expensive. You can't buy a car like what we have around here. It has to be a land cruiser-type vehicle that, uh, because of the ruggedness of the roads and the rocks and things that you got to get over. But, you know, for a new vehicle, we're talking $70,000, dollars $80,000 there. Um, and then also funds for the women's ministry. And the women's ministry is actually one of the most important ministries there, um, Women's ministry is the ministry that really uh, is the effective ministry of increasing the church and bringing more people to the church. Um, and uh, it, it's, um, it, they do a lot of different things together, but as they're doing things together, they're sharing the word of God uh, together. So what are some things that are next? Uh, the ICFG is putting a team together uh, to meet with the youth conference that takes place in Papua New Guinea. It's going to be taking place towards the end of, uh, or we're going to go end of December going into January. Um, you can see Judah Weinhart or David Shorterman if you're interested to go. I'll be going along as well. Uh, but uh, it's, um, it's an expensive trip, though. I'll just tell you that up front. It's, uh, it, it's a lot of hours of traveling. It takes us about three days to, to get there, plus driving in a land cruiser for a while. So next area is about uh, Ghana, Africa. And this is one of the focuses for this week with, uh, uh, at camp here. It's for the co-op farming uh, project that we're looking to uh, to support, and uh, I've left it on a video format so I don't talk too long. As many of you are aware that the church in Ghana, started by Rex Noy, has expanded over many years to include a hospital and a school. We'd now like to partner with them in a cooperative farming project. 
Many members of the church work very hard to support their family by renting a patch of land up to an acre and working it by hand in order to feed their families and survive. The rent of the land costs them up to half the value of the crop that they produce. These families have been doing this for many years, but can never get out of the cycle of pure survival or even send their children to school to get more than a very basic education. The cooperative project is purchasing large parcels of land, a uh, minimum of 300 acres of uncleared land, which is fertile in order to supply these families that are part of the church with about five acres of land if they're part of the co-op. What we'd like to do is provide them with tractors and implements in order to allow for the clearing of land and to do mechanical farming. They'll use the machinery now to farm the land in order to be able to harvest larger plots, which in turn will allow a much larger yield of crops from the same level of manual labor. The Faith Evangelical Mission Worldwide Farming Cooperative has already been formed and they've been renting equipment to do this work and have proven that they are able to make it work. What we would like to do is purchase equipment and give them a 50% interest-free loan on the equipment so that they have some ownership in it and it's not just simply being handed to them, but at the same time to allow them to have the equipment without having to pay a rent. Just to make you aware as well, for in Paraguay, uh, there's a work team being planned for, um, for late in the year, December to January. If you're, oops, sorry. If you're interested in going uh, on it, please see Brother Rod Cook, and, uh, and he can get you more information on it. Good morning. I'm happy to be able to be with you this morning from Brazil. My name is Bethany, and I've been at CLM for close to 10 years now. Um, we'll start out here with an aerial view of the CLM property. We recently received a picture that someone took, so we have the main home in the middle and little houses around it, and I'll explain a lot more about that this afternoon if, for those who are interested. The, our mission statement at CLM is to glorify God by working with excellence toward transformation of the lives of children and their families. So because of the way things are structured with the Brazilian government, the kids who come to us are in the middle of a judicial process to decide are they going to go back to their families, are they going to go for adoption, or what's going to happen in their lives. And we are responsible for working with the families of those children as well. We usually only have about 20 children at a time between the two homes in uh, Entre Rios and Turvo. Um, but because of the fact that kids are coming and going all the time, we end up serving about a total of 45 kids and 25 families per year. So what is the situation of the CLM kids when they arrive? Most of them have been exposed to extreme stress, being abused or abandoned by their, their parents or caregivers. This affects their development in all, all senses of their development, emotional, physical, social, and educational. They are vulnerable to failure and they need our intervention. They usually don't feel like they have any hope for their future, and we have to work with them to reteach them in all these areas. And statistically, 
if they don't have any kind of intervention, they're going to stay in that same cycle of poverty or drug abuse or whatever situation they came out of. It's very unlikely they're going to finish school, they're going to keep a job, be able to have a healthy marriage, stay physically healthy, and stay out of crime. So what our role is at CLM is to bring them in, love them, teach them that they are valued by God and how they can live a victorious life here and in the next life. And we do that meeting their emotional, physical, educational needs, as well as helping them find a job when they're teenagers and young adults. Um, by law, the government sees this as just a place to put kids until they know where they're going. So our, our job, according to the government, is to find a placement for them. Oh, are they, is their family stable enough they can go back, or are they going to have to go to a substitute family uh, for adoption? And all the, the part that we do while they're at CLM, they don't care really what we do with the kids. So unfortunately, <laughs> that's their point of view. But that's where our mission is, what we do with the kids while they're with us. So I'd like to share with you stories of two different people who gave me permission to tell their stories. Um, this is Tamara. She, uh, she writes, I came to CLM when I was four or five because I didn't have anyone to take care of me. My mother had abandoned me for personal reasons, and my dad and the rest of my family couldn't care for me either. I was suffering a lot. I stayed at CLM for about five years. It helped me see the world in a different way. So that's her way of being able to express herself as a young teenager now. She was um, released for adoption because there were no family members that could take care of her. And she is, you can see the difference between when she arrived at CLM and how she is now. This is her picture from her Facebook profile. And we helped her see, see, uh, see her life in a different way, see the world in a different way, that there was hope for her life. And we continue to pray that the, the seeds of the gospel planted in her heart will, will bear fruit and she will learn to serve the Lord. Mariolda, many of you may have seen her in past CLM presentations. Mariolda arrived at CLM at the age of 12 and left when she got married at age 19. That was from 1983 to 1991. She writes the following. I am a daughter of CLM. To me, it is like a family. And I am thankful to God for giving me the opportunity to live at CLM, where I could have people that took me in, took care of me, and taught me everything I know now, I now know about life and about Jesus. So there she could clearly express that she was taught what she needed to know about life. In all areas of their lives, we need to be teaching godly values. Many times they have not had any instruction in things they need to know for, for life. On the contrary, they've had instruction to be deceitful, to do whatever they need to do to survive because they haven't had the, the support that they needed from family members. So in the afternoon forum, I'll have pictures of the current children and caregivers. I'll explain more about the current economic situation, how that affects CLM's needs, and also about some projects we're in the process of developing to help reduce our costs or make CLM more sustainable. I'll leave this up here so you guys can take a picture of it, copy it down if you're interested in uh, getting in contact with us. And while that's up there, I have a letter from our current board president 
who was not able to be with us. He was hoping to be able to come up, and he couldn't get a visa on time, so he sent this letter that he'd like me to read to you guys. And so this is what he would say to you if you were here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to preach freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. Luke 4.18 I would like to be able to be with you at this time to express two things that have been on my heart in the last few months. But since that isn't possible, I'll count on Bethany's help. The first thing is gratefulness to God and to each one of you that have contributed in some way to help us obey what Jesus commanded in Mark 16:15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm sure that if it weren't for your contributions and prayers, this mission would no longer exist. Today we have the opportunity to preach the gospel to many children, teens, and young adults that arrive here without any hope, without knowing Christ, and we have the opportunity to introduce them to this great love. May God be praised for that. The second thing on my heart is that we can do more. We can improve our phys- physical and personnel structure to better serve these people that God has placed here and have even better results in their lives. But for this, we need your donations and more people. We need your help. I hope that this week of camp awakens in you an even greater love for lost souls and that you feel the love that God has awakened in me for each child that arrives here. I hope to meet you personally someday, but in the meantime, I will pray for you and count on the prayers of each one of you. In Christ's love, Anderson Kaznok. So with that, I invite you once again to come to the afternoon forum today at 2 p.m. Thanks, Sister Bethany. Now, Bethany is an absolute important, vital part of CLM, and if you... Feel free to talk to her if you have any questions at the forum, after the forum. Um, I've been down to CLM a couple of times now, and uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that Bethany does there and, uh, and her husband's involvement, Juan, as well. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. The, the direction uh, that CLM is going in right now, in my opinion, is a very positive direction, and, uh, and if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be going as well as, as what it is. Um, but, uh, and if you want to know any more about any of these particular places that we're talking about, showing you about, go there once. Join a work team, but go. If, if you want to be changed, if you want to be touched, just go. I want to touch uh, briefly on uh, uh, just mentioning some of the work teams that have gone the last 12 months uh, through the Canadian Mission Board. Um, CLM was one of them, Nepomoceno, uh, Galilean Home. Uh, there's, uh, I think, three, uh, three teams that had gone there that will be going again uh, pretty soon. Uh, Mexico, um, multiple ones, uh, Zambia, um, Papua New Guinea, and Obranovic, Serbia. Um, And if anybody has a desire to go to any particular place, 
come and see me or anybody on the missionary committee or Rod Cook or um, anybody on the foundation, uh, um, just talk to one of us and, uh, and we'll, we'll try to make it possible for you to be able to go. It will change your life forever. You know, there's so much work to be done in the, uh, in the Lord's Vineyard. And, uh, um, you know, won't you come out and help in a mission field? It doesn't have to be preaching. It can be helping building something. It can be, there's so many different ways. But just the fact that you come to a particular location or come and see somebody that is in need already says a whole lot. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I, I'm going to go to you know, Zambia or Papua New Guinea or somewhere far, uh, far away, and, uh, and I, I want to be a missionary. Well, if you don't start right here at home, right here with the people that are sitting beside you, uh, it doesn't matter where it is, but you need to be talking to people about Christ regularly. Um, you know, if you're really excited about what Christ has done for you in your life, you're going to share it. You're not just going to stay quiet about it. And, uh, and by you being excited about what Christ has actually done for you in your life, people are going to want to have what you have. But you've got to have that excitement Brother Bezalel, many of you remember him from last year having a message here, and it was about the uh, uh, subject of, of go. And, uh, and he, sent me, uh, he sent me an email uh, just last night and sharing with me that he wanted me to extend greetings uh, to all of you here, and he thanks everyone for their prayers, for his health. Um, Many of you uh, know that uh, him and uh, Simon Walk were here last year. They had to leave a bit early because of uh, Bezalel's health. He actually had a collapsed lung, and it turned out that uh, he had cancer. Uh, he got back as far as Australia, and uh, he was hospitalized there, and the doctors basically there told him, to, uh, after a whole bunch of tests and stuff, told him to go home and die, and that uh, he had about a month to live. Well, we're, uh, we're basically a year later, and, and he's still alive, and uh, he credits that all to God, and, uh, uh, and he, uh, he has gone throughout uh, Papua New Guinea sharing his testimony of, uh, of the extra time that God has given him, and he keeps telling me that he believes that his focus, that his, uh, that God's plan for him is just to keep encouraging the church, to keep encouraging the church to grow, to keep encouraging people to reach out to the people beside them and invite them to have Christ in their life. And that's the same focus we want for everyone here as well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that we've experienced in this past hour. 
Lord, we first of all pray for those whom we saw or whom we've heard. Father, there's many needs, but you're a great God and you can supply them all. And secondly, Father, we pray that each person in this room, Lord, that you would take the seed that was planted at somehow, some way, Lord, your good and Holy Spirit would work in each one of our hearts that it would become less of self and more about the kingdom of God. Bless us as we depart and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.